have to confer with my wife before I come up. You kind of get that idea. I just want to mention the fact that um, there's an adult dinner this week. And uh, so there's a sign-up sheet in the back. And so if you'd like to be part of our adult dinner, I don't know where we're going. Where are we going? We're going to Smoky Bones. All right. So if you'd like to uh, be part of uh, our adult dinner, any adult, if you're out of high school, you're welcome to come. Put your name down. We have a great time of fellowship. And also I want to mention that uh, finally my book is out, uh, and it's uh, the book of Revelation made plain and clear. And um, not to brag on my own book, but it's really good. (laughs) And the whole idea of writing this book wasn't that you'd only concentrate on this book. It was to give you the confidence that you could open the book of Revelation and study it on your own and come to, you know, great conclusions. And so um, we have, I don't know if there there are any copies left in the back. And, um, you know, we're selling them just for what I paid for them, not trying to make any money off of our church family. (laughs) No, we really aren't. (laughs) And uh, if we're out of books, you can go to uh, Barnes & Noble dot com or you can go to Amazon and you can buy the book through them. And you can also get an ebook if those of you that like to read it on, on your uh, device through uh, Amazon.com as well. So having said that, open your Bibles along with me to Numbers chapter 14 and we'll be picking up where Frank was supposed to leave off in, uh, in verse 11. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name because we realize that there literally is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. And Father, how we long to see those we love, those that are close to us, and even those that are around us, and even the stranger, to come and know you and to have that assurance of eternal life because we recognize the times in which we're living. And therefore, Father, our prayer becomes even more earnest and and, uh, and just I don't know, anxious because we desire to not see anyone left behind but for all to come to the knowledge of you and to meet you in that great gathering in the sky and so father I pray that you would anoint and use me to speak and to teach your word to these your people and I pray this all in Christ Jesus name amen and amen you know, it's, it's interesting. We look at the children of Israel in this portion of Scripture, and we wonder, how could they not believe God? And I don't know why, but it made me think of uh, a lab experiment, experiment I did when I was taking microbiology. I can't remember if it was my in graduate school or undergraduate when it's been more than 50 years ago. It's hard to remember anything. But anyway, uh, when I was uh, in microbiology, my lab partner and I... By the way, do you know why you have a lab partner? Because someone has to do the work. <laughs> you know, just, just <laughs> anyway, my lab partner and I, we decided we were going to uh, produce an, a penicillin-resistant staphylococcus. And so what we did is we took a Petri dish, deep one, and we poured it on a slant. If you guys, some of you science guys, you know what I'm talking about. And you let it harden in a slant. And then we took and we put Staphylococcus bacteria across it, and it started growing. And then after it started growing, then you filled the rest of it up with the medium and, uh, you know, so that it was level. And then we took little penicillin drops and put it across the top. Well, what happened is where the penicillin uh, tabs, they're little white tabs, they look like something you punch out of a piece of paper, and where it was closest to the Staphylococcus bacteria, it killed it. 
And the further away it was, in other words, the Stephanococcus was like this, and the tabs were up here, okay? So the further away the tabs were from the, the bacteria, the less effective it was until it actually got to a place over time where we actually had the Staphylococcus bacteria growing right up around the penicillin tab. And that particular strain that we had there then would be somewhat resistant to penicillin. And, of course, that's a big concern we have in medicine today, that people are, you know, resistant, uh, you know, to to certain antibiotics and so forth, illnesses. But the point I'm trying to make is a spiritual one. And that is, we, this whole world is like a giant Petri dish infected with sin. And the reality is that we have an antibody against sin, an antibiotic, and it's the Holy Spirit. It's Jesus Christ. And the closer we bring Jesus Christ in our walk with this world, the more victory we have, the more the sin of this world is dissipated. And the less likely we are to bring Jesus with us, and we just, you know, casually bring him along, sin is going to just encroach right into our lives and fill us up. And so we, brothers and sisters, as believers, we need to walk in the Spirit, with the Holy Spirit's presence and power, every day of our life, every step we take, every breath we breathe. Because sin, what does Scripture say? is crouching at the door and desires to have you. So we need to make sure that we have that kind of walk with the Lord. Now in this portion, how amazing it is um, for the children of Israel, because I think about, how could this be? They, they didn't have a problem believing God's promise to take them out of Egypt. Look at all the miracles he performed and everything, and, and he took them out of Egypt. So they didn't have a problem with him taking them out of bondage, but they had a problem with him taking them into the promise, into the promised land. Remember last week we studied about the ten spies, and uh, eight of them came back, um, 12 spies, eight, ten of them came back with a bad report, and Joshua and Caleb came back with a good report. But the whole you know, gathering of the children of Israel decided to listen to the ten spies who had a bad report. Because what were they saying? What were they saying? It is a land flowing with milk and honey. It's just like God said. It's everything that we'd love to have. But there are giants in the land. And Pastor Frank Jr. went into that a, a little bit this morning. You have the Benai Elohim, which are the sons of God. That's Hebrew for the Benai Elohim, and they produced, they went to any woman, any human woman they wanted, and they had children by them, and those children were Nephilim, or giants, in, 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 our, in what we translate as giants. And so when they went in and they said there were giants in the land, there were. I mean, Goliath, we know about the whole story of David and Goliath, right? And by the very uh, fact of examining the armor, and the, and the weapons that Goliath used, he was probably somewhere between 12 and 14 feet tall. If he was standing in the middle of our sanctuary, his head would be up to the ceiling. That's a big dude, right? Because the head of his, his spearhead weighed 65 pounds. I mean, I have a hard time with 65-pound dumbbells. Maybe 15 pounds. But anyway... <laughs> Each dumbbell, I mean, a 65-pound spearhead, you know what I mean? You have to be pretty big. And, and the spear itself was like a weaver's beam, probably about 12 feet long. So this guy had to be somewhere between 12 and 14 foot tall. And so when they saw these giants, to them, 
They were only looking at it through the eyes of flesh, and they said, there's no way we can conquer those giants. But in the spirit, those giants were easy prey. Remember what David said to Goliath? You come against me with sword and spear, but I come against you in the name of the Lord. He had a little stone, a slingshot. He was a shepherd boy. Swung that around. He sunk that stone deep in the giant's head. And the giant wasn't dead. He just fell forward. In fact, it's funny. There's a lot of people who said, well, how could he hit him in the head and he fell forward? Because if you do uh, any kind of study of someone at a certain distance who gets hit in the head with a, a fatal wound, they fall forward. You know, unless the, the, you know, it's like a huge blast. But usually they get hit and they fall forward. But anyway, David went and then cut his head off with Goliath's own sword. But the point I'm getting at, David had no fear. Why? Because he totally trusted in the Lord. The Israelites, what they would do is they would camp on the one, uh, there's a valley, and they camp on one mountain, and the Philistines would camp on the other mountain. And then in the morning, both the Israelites and the Philistines would come down into the valley. Yeah, yeah, we're going to fight. We're going to get you. We're going to get you. And then Goliath would walk out, and all the Israelites would go, back up on their side of the mountain because they were afraid of the giant. And that's when David came, and he was appalled because he was a believer in God. And he said, this uncircumcised Philistine, why would we be afraid of him? And, of course, we see the victory. And so we have to understand that even for you and I, there are giants that come into our lives, and we can't allow them to frighten us and to befall us. We have to look at those giants, and we have to say, I believe God. And God has promised me the victory. And we need to be willing to stand up against our giants and watch the work of the Lord. It's not us. The work of the Lord give us the victory. You know, in, in uh, Galatians 4.16, it says this, Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? So we have to understand, just because the Lord gives us a task that maybe we think is too difficult, do we allow the Lord to become our enemy? Not in the sense that we hate him, but in the sense we don't want to obey him. We don't want to listen to him. Lord, wherever you lead me, I will follow. <laughs> I want you to go there. Well, not there. Anywhere but there, Lord, I'll follow. If the Lord gives you a promise and says, I want you to go in and possess that land, the land is yours. The land's yours. And, of course, we're, we're speaking metaphorically, whatever that land might be in your life, maybe it's some problem, some issue, whatever it might be, the Lord will give you the victory. But the reality is man is so fickle. You know, when everything is going so great, I just love Jesus. I just love the Lord. He's so good to me. He handles all my problems. And the minute difficulties come, it's like, gee, I don't know, Lord. Uh, You know, what should I do? God, I I don't feel like your presence. I don't feel you in my heart. Where are you? And we get all fickle. That's wrong. We need to understand if the Lord says something and he gives us a promise, we need to go full steam ahead. Because if God before you, what's the rest of that? Who can be against you? You know, you can go against an army that has 25 giants, and they say, hey, look at our 25 giants. And we say, look at my God. <laughs> and the giants will go, they'll flee. 
So when they crossed the Red Sea, think about this. When they crossed the Red Sea, we know this from when we were reading um, you know, in Exodus, uh, they sang the song of praise, just praising God for all he was doing. And then when they come in, into the land and they face their giants and they face all the difficulties, then they start saying, why do you hate us, God? They go from praising God and thanking him and believing him to now they're, they're, they're thinking, oh, God, there's giants in the land. What are we going to do? Believe. Believe. There is nothing so difficult that God has called you to do that he can't equip you to have the victory. If we're doing anything in our own strength and our own power, you know what I'm saying? It would be a disaster. But when we do things in the name of the Lord, in the power of the Holy Spirit, we can be sure to have the victory. Um, I want to share this with you. In 1 John chapter 5, and verse 10, it says, He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He um, who does not believe God has made him a liar because he does not believe the testimony that God has given to his Son. And so God has given us a testimony that if, we, if he's for us, there's no one who can be against us. Where he leads, all we have to do is follow. The Lord never calls us to take the point man. Do you understand that? He simply calls us to follow. And then in, in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 14, it says, Beware, brethren, lest there be any of you, uh, in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. He calls unbelief an evil heart. In departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is called today. In other words, not waiting till tomorrow. Today is what the Lord has called me to do, this or that. Lest any of you um, be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Listen to this. For uh, we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. So, so often it's easy to start something, isn't it? Start a project, but then to follow through on it, it becomes more difficult. I remember in the days when I used to try to build things, and my wife has finally convinced me that I don't. But I, I, can, I can remember, you know, oh, I got the plans. And I, I, you know, I'd go to, um, what was the, the lumber shop back in those days? What was it? Builder Square and places like that. And I'd go and I'd have the plans and I'd get all the materials and I'd bring it back to the house. And man, I was all, you know, ready to go into it. Then all of a sudden it started getting complicated and figuring out, you know, how do you actually cut trusses? And I had one of those things where I'd cut the angles backwards. You know how they're supposed to, you know, come together like this and I'd have them like this. And, and I'd, I'd get so frustrated. But the point is that the Lord is going to take us through whatever calling he's put in our heart and our life we just have to trust him and keep going and i did finally get the angles right twice as much wood but i finally did get the angles right in doing it so now turn with me to numbers 14 and i'm picking up in verse 11 <clears throat> numbers 14 and verse 11 now the lord said to moses how long will these people reject me and how long will they not believe me 
with all the signs which I have performed among them. In other words, he brought them up out of Israel. They saw, you know, the plagues, the ten plagues of Egypt. They saw the miracle of the Red Sea drying up. They saw the miracle of the pillar of fire by uh, night and the pillar of, uh, you know, cloud by day. They saw him provide water from bitter water. They saw him, you know, provide manna from heaven. They saw miracle after miracle. And then the minute a difficult time would come, then they had doubts. Verse 12, because he's angry with them. You know, remember last week, for those of you that weren't here, the spies were sent into the promised land because they were there. They were ready to enter in. The promise God gave them. And so they sent the spies in. Now understand, we shared this last week, sending the spies in was not God's will because if you go back, you find out God simply said, go in and possess the land. But then the people said, you know what, maybe we better check it out first. Maybe we better send some spies in. So they sent the spies in, and of course, they saw the giants, and that was it. Even though it had everything that they would ever desire to have, the land flowing with milk and honey, they saw the giants, and they came back and said, the land's flowing with milk and honey. This is a beautiful land God has promised us, but there's giants there. I don't think we can go in. And that's why the Lord, you know, responded in such an angry way. And in verse 12, he says, I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them. And I will make you, talking to Moses, a nation greater and mightier than they. And Moses said to the Lord, then the Egyptians will hear it. Will hear it. For by your might, you brought these people up from among them, from the Egyptians. And they will tell it uh, to the inhabitants of, the land, of this land, the land they were going into. Uh, they have heard that you, Lord, are among these people. In other words, they know that these people are being led by Yahweh, by Almighty God, that you, Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands above them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you kill these people as one man, then the nations which have heard of your fame will speak, saying, because the Lord was not able to bring these people into the land which he swore to give them. You understand what a, what a terrible convicting, conviction that would be? What, what a terrible accusation that would be? Here God did all these things, but he's not able to bring them into the land. That was the accusation that Moses was saying would be brought against the, the Lord. Therefore, um, he killed them, talking about what the Lord would do in the wilderness. And now I pray, let the power of my Lord be great, just as you have spoken, saying, now notice the power he's talking about is God's loving kindness and his, his forgiveness. The Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression. But he by no means clears the guilty, vis visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. And then Moses says, pardon the iniquity of this people, I pray, according to the greatness of your mercy, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. In other words, from the time they came out of Egypt, they needed forgiveness. From the time they came out of Egypt, they were turning against God and God had to forgive them, even up to this point. So God's grace and mercy and forgiveness had been with them and had been a testimony to them all through the journey that they've had so far. And so like the children of Israel... A lot of times our problem is that we filter everything through the flesh, right? I don't think that can be done. 
I think that would be pretty impossible to do. I don't know how I would do it. Well, the point is you can't do it. You can't filter it through the flesh. If God told you something was going to be done, he'll do it. You know, getting off into crazy stuff. But many, many years ago, when we lived in Puerto Rico, I was a a principal of a high school there, and I ended up getting dengue fever. And I, at this point, had a fever for, I don't know how long, a couple months or something like that. And uh, I went to uh, my doctor, and my doctor said to me, he said, look, he said, either you get out of the tropics or you're going to die. That's kind of a you know, kind of an easy easy way to look at it. So I, I came home and I, I told Vi, I said I'm going to have to resign my position, and I said because I'm sick and I, I have to get out of the tropics, because the mosquito that causes dengue fever it's different than malaria. When you have malaria, it's in your body forever. With dengue fever, you have to be reinfected each time. But the fact is, there were tons of mosquitoes, and I kept getting reinfected, so I was constantly sick, and so. Uh, I had to do a letter of resignation. And, uh, you know, Vi and I were discussing, what should we do? What should we say? You know, should we say this or that? And I said, let's just lay it out, the truth. You know, this is what it is. And, uh, you know, let them decide. Well, we just laid the truth out. And lo and behold, they accepted my resignation, gave me six weeks severance pay, and paid all of our transportation back to the States. I was like... Wow. The point I'm getting at is you don't have to formulate a plan if God has, because we prayed about it and the Lord was telling us to go back to the States. And so if the Lord is leading you in a direction, trust him. You don't have to worry about anything. Just trust the Lord because he is so good. Now, we have to realize that when we have a lack of faith, it really is a poor witness to those around us. I don't know how this is going to happen. You know what I mean? Listen, so many Christians, I wouldn't even want to be around. They're whiny crybabies. Everything's going wrong for me. I don't know why this is happening. God doesn't love me. I think this is horrible. I'm just going to sit in a corner and suck my thumb and die. You know, this is awful. And and they're such whiny crybabies, and it's like, why would anybody want to be a Christian? Now, understand, I'm not saying that those whiny crybabies aren't saved. Okay? I'm not saying that. But I'm just saying their testimony is not a good testimony. But when you have people who are just praising God and following him, whether good or whether it's bad. The Apostle Paul said, I've known what it's like to have all kinds, have plenty. And I've known what it's like to have nothing. But in all things, he praised the Lord. In all things, he served the Lord and walked with God wherever the Lord called him. And we have to realize the same is true with us. We don't want to be like the children of Israel, accepting all the good gifts from God, you know, the, the manna from heaven and the opening of the Red Sea and, and the pillar of fire to give them heat and, and light by night and the cloud to give them coolness by day and it would lead them wherever they, they accepted all that. The minute a giant came into the picture, all bets were off. Oh, this is too hard. This is too big. Let me ask you this. What's too big for God? What's too big for God? I mean, nothing. Just by the word of his mouth, he's going to destroy this present heaven and earth one day and create a whole new heaven and earth. You mean you really believe that God spoke things into existence? Yes, I do. Because he's God. 
and God said, you know, and you, in the Hebrew, that is a definite, you know, uh, imperative. In other words, when God said, it wasn't just, well, I think God said, let there be light. And there was light. And of course, I don't want to get into the, that whole thing, but the, the reality is that evolution is probably one of the most scientific, illogical theories, and it is a theory. You know, you have articles out there now that are saying, evolution is no longer a theory. Yes, it is. Because there's no such thing as nothing coming from nothing. Everything goes back to nothing in evolution you know, theory. There had to have been someone or something who created something who's outside of something. God stands outside of time and eternity. He inhabits what's beyond our ability to even comprehend. And therefore, he being God, being Yahweh, being the creator of all things, he could say, let there be light. And there was light. Now, Moses' love for these people was demonstrated, wasn't it, by his intervention? He didn't just say, when God said, you know what, I'm going to kill all these people and I'll make a greater nation out of you. Moses didn't say, yeah, good idea. Not bad. <laughs> these guys are a pain. No, no, Moses intervened. Think about if God wasn't love, grace, and mercy, when Adam and Eve fell to sin in the garden, he would have just smoked them and he would have created two new people and started over again. But he didn't do that. Why? Because he wanted to have fellowship with his creation, a loving relationship with his creation. So he knew they were going to sin. Did you know he knew they were going to sin? The land that was slain before the foundation of the world were even laid. So even before he created the heavens and the earth, he already provided a salvation plan by the shedding of the, of the, of the blood of the lamb. He already did that. It's amazing. But the fact is, we have to understand that love, you've heard me share this so many times, but listen to what I'm saying. Love requires choice. You know, if I was the only man on earth and every woman came up to me and said, boy, you're really hot for a short guy. <laughs> you know, you're something. Well, guess what? I wouldn't be too flattered if I was the only man on earth because I know if there's anyone else. <laughs> but anyway, the point, I, the point I'm getting at is love requires choice. If I went up to my wife and I put my arms around her neck and said, Tell me you love me. And she goes, I love you. There'd be no, there's no love there. There's fear. And love and fear don't go together. We fear God only in the sense that he is all-powerful, but we love him. And that's what gives us such a wonderful bond together. And in any marital relationship, love requires choice. I choose you know, there's so many times in, in relationships, people say, oh, we're having this problem, we're having that problem. You're choosing to have that problem. It's your choice. What you need to do is you need to say, I choose to work through this. I choose to resolve this with God's help and by his word. That's what we do. Love is a choice. So the point I'm getting at, if God would have just smoked Adam and Eve and started over, they would have sinned too. Because God's desire from the beginning was to have a loving fellowship and relationship with his special creation. And in order to do that, there had to be choice. 
And so they were given choice, and they chose to disobey God. They were separated from God because of that. And God turned right around, right from the beginning, and by the shedding of blood, he covered them with the skins of animals, and he enabled them to come back into fellowship with him. God's desire is always for us to be back into fellowship with him. He's an amazing God. Because think about it. Do you really think God was going to kill all these people? He was given, giving Moses the opportunity to show his love for God and to prove his calling to lead these people into the land of promise. And Moses fulfilled that. I mean, he passed that test with flying colors, and he intervened for the people. He proved his faithfulness and love to the Lord. And it's beautiful that Moses reminds the Lord, and this is something you and I can always remember. Look at verse 18, or verse 19 of chapter 18. Or 18 and 19, I mean. And the Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy. Aren't you glad of that? Forgiving iniquity and transgression. But he by no means clears the guilty, visiting the iniquity, and, and I'll explain that in a minute. It sounds like a contradiction. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on their children to the third and fourth generation. Then he goes on to say, pardon the iniquity of this people, I pray, according to the greatness of your mercy. Just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. In other words, there's not a contradiction here. God's desire is always to cleanse us and to forgive us. But there has to be a choice on our part to ask for it. If is a conditional conjunction. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness, it tells us in 1 John, right? 1-9. So it's a choice if we confess our sin. And so that's what he's speaking to these people. You need to confess your sin. You need to confess your wrong. And then the grace and mercy of God is able to work. And uh, if it wasn't for the Lord's long suffering, I think you and I would have been smoked a long time ago, don't you? Um, what a frightful thing to even contemplate that our salvation is determined by our own faithfulness and our own strength. Wouldn't that be scary? Well, I'm saved because I love God and because I do what's right because I follow his word. You know, what does scripture say about thinking you're, you can stand and then you fall? Something like that? The reality is it never. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Wherever he leads me, I will follow. I'm not going to run ahead of him. I'll follow. And so our relationship with God is one of submission, not one of dominance. And so our love to God is demonstrated by our willingness to surrender to him. And um, we couldn't go a minute without the Lord's grace and mercy, could we? I know I couldn't. And... um, Think about the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. God used that to lead them. And you want to know something? One of the most difficult times in following God is when the pillar stands still. Follow my point? When the pillar's moving and we're marching along, you know, the little children's plays, you know, marching along with Jesus. We're marching along following that cloud and it's, it's great. Hey, life's good. We're going, we're going in the right direction. Then all of a sudden the cloud stops. Things don't change. Here we are, right here. Nothing's going on. Okay, Lord, let's go. We're right here. Lord, I'm, t- I'm ready to move forward. Right here. Sometimes the most difficult, um, sometimes it's the most difficult for us 
in our walk with the Lord when the pillar is standing still and he's keeping us right where we are. But why is he doing that? It's always for our good. Sometimes we don't know it. Not using a silly example about myself, but I, as you can tell, I came down with a cold, a really bad one, actually. <clears throat> and Monday and Tuesday, you know what I did? Nothing. I did read two books, but anyway, I, I'm, I'm sitting in my chair doing nothing because that's all I could do, and I hated it. But the Lord was saying to me, the pillar is stopped. <laughs> you, you sit there and you do nothing so that you can start getting better. And sometimes, even in a spiritual sense, the Lord is saying, the pillar stopped, just sit there and do nothing. But I feel like you should be doing something. You are doing something. You're obeying me by doing nothing. <laughs> just stay there. And, um, and, of course, the light was just the visible presence of God leading. In 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, this is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We need to choose. It's a choice to follow him. Really, when we sing that song, Where He Leads, I Will Follow, we need to really have that desire in our, in our own hearts because um, sometimes we have little curveballs thrown into our life, right? Everything seems to be going great, and all of a sudden, but we have to be willing you know, to accept it. And uh, I remember, I don't know if I shared this last week as well, but... Um, I remember when the Lord called us to go to the Onondaga Indian Reservation. That was our first ministry here in the Syracuse area. And I was leaving a very good job, a really nice house in a fantastic location to come to Syracuse to uh, be a missionary pastor on the reservation for $100 a week. And you might say, well, that was a lot of money back then. No, it wasn't. <laughs> Not that much. But anyway... We, so we just were trusting the Lord, and we're following God and feeling good about everything. And then I had a, a pretty late model, nice car, Cougar XR7. I think I shared this last week, but here it goes again. And so anyway, I'm loving my, my car, and the engine blew. I took it back, and I tried, and I couldn't get any recourse. And so I had to turn the car in. So we had a second car, an old car, and I think we drove that for like two weeks, and the engine blew. We had no vehicle. And here I am, you know, ministering in the reservation. I had to ride a bicycle. And I told you last week, the kids used to, to, you know, hum that song when the Wicked Witch was riding the bicycle in the Wizard of Oz. Because back in those days, if you were a pastor, you wore a suit. Every day you wore a suit. So here I am on a, I just on a bicycle riding by, and the kids would be going, <laughs> No, not really. Uh, but the point I'm getting at, I actually thank God for those opportunities to just trust him. You know what I'm saying? I had to trust him. Because we're taking the bus to go places. I had to trust him. And when you trust the Lord, he's always faithful. And understand, when he puts you in those times of where you need to trust him, it's for your purposes of building, being built up in him, to grow strong in him. You know, uh, the old... Um, workout saying, no pain, no gain. You ever heard that? No pain, no gain. 
I haven't had pain in a long time. But anyway, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's funny. Every time I get it in my head, like I told Vi, we, we, we had so much time we're spending in this book. You know, we basically <clears throat> dropped our workout and we dropped eating healthy. And I don't know if you guys have ever done that. But we weren't working out, and, and we were having, like, pepperoni and cheese for supper and uh, potato chips for lunch, you know, that kind of thing, and uh, putting weight back on and all that. <clears throat> so I told Vi, because when we finally finished the book, this is a little bit, you know, a week ago, and I told Vi, I said, Monday, I'm back into it, baby. You better follow. I'm back into it. I'm going to be in the gym. I mean, we've got a whole, whole deal at the house. We've got the treadmill up and down and all that, and we've got the machines, and we've got the dumbbells and all that kind of stuff. I said, I'm back into it, baby. And uh, she goes, great, I'll w- I'm with you. And I wake up Monday morning, and I'm like, ugh. And I wasn't able to do anything. You know, here I uh, have all these promises of what I'm going to do. But that's where we have to trust the Lord. You know, there are times that he seems to allow things to come into our life that we don't understand. And the reality is, tomorrow, I'm going to be back into it, hopefully. So, anyway, um, this morning and grumbling actually caused them to walk in the desert of sin for 40 years, never entering into his promise. And what I'm saying, brothers and sisters, as Christians... Oftentimes, our unbelief, our murmuring and grumbling causes us to walk in the desert of unbelief, never entering into his promise. I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm not saying if the rapture came, you're going to be left behind. But what I'm saying, you're walking in that desert of unbelief and heartache and frustration when you could be in the land of promise. I mean, no one was a more joyous Christian you can read about than the Apostle Paul. Think about it. Paul started off a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was the only one of the apostles that had a PhD, if we're putting it in today's language. He was, he was brilliant. He had all kinds of money. He had fame. He was very successful. And when he met Jesus on the road to Emmaus, he gave it all up. He said, I knew what it was like to have plenty, and I know what it's like to have nothing. And he had nothing And he was joyous in the Lord. And the point I'm getting at, my friends, is this. Being a Christian, you know this name it and claim it junk that you hear? False teaching, fluff. You know what I'm saying that you hear? If you're a Christian, you're going to have all kinds of money and you're going to have all kinds of fame. Name it and claim it, baby. You're going to have it. Christians are poor. Christians die. You know, you talk to the Christians in some of these third world countries... Or even some of the Christians like in China. I'll tell you what. They're not going around saying, hey, I'm going to have wealth and prosperity and health and this and that. No, no, no. They're going to be persecuted and put to death for their faith. Do you know where one of the greatest revivals, not in numbers but percentage, is taking place in the world right now? Iran. You don't hear much about it because they kill them. And uh, Joel Rosenberg, who, you know, is a Christian writer, probably many of you have read his books. He actually lives in Israel now. And he actually, he has a ministry in Iran. It's an underground ministry in Iran. 
There's a lot of people getting saved in Iran, and they're not saying, okay, Lord, now that I'm saved, bring the, you know, bring the Mercedes, I'm ready. They're saying, Lord, I just want to serve you even if my head is chopped off. And for a lot of them, it is. And so if we're going to be his witness in the world, if we're going to really have the love of Christ dwelling within our heart or cardiac or inner man, then we have to understand it's never based on promises of things. The trinkets of this world do not matter. You can't take them with you, and they'll never bring you peace. They'll never bring you happiness. You know, I finally get my little red sports car. You know, it's, a, it's a little Pontiac Solstice. And I'm happy with it. But now I'm thinking it'd be nice to have a little two-seater Mercedes. You get my point I'm trying to make. We're never satisfied. You know, the eye is never satisfied, the stomach's never full. But if the only thing that is in our vision is Jesus Christ, we'll always be satisfied. We'll always be satisfied. And so, my conclusion, I'm actually, my conclusion is this. Run to him right now with an open heart, crying out, Daddy, Daddy. You know, Abba, Abba, as it says, you know, in, in, the, in the Hebrew, you know what that means? Daddy. Abba, 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 Daddy, Daddy. And he'll reach right down to you, and he'll pick you up in those loving, everlasting arms, and all the things of this world will grow strangely dim when we look into the light of his beauty and grace. What is there that this world has to offer that can even come near comparing to peace in Christ? I have peace in Christ. Do you know what I'm saying? It has nothing to do with possessions. It has nothing to do with any worldly entrapment. My peace in Christ is this. He died for me, and he made me a promise that all my sins would be forgiven, and I would dwell with him in heaven for all eternity. And all those I love who are saved are going to be with me. You understand, in heaven, it's not like some kind of nirvana where you get there and you're like, well, uh, who am I? I'm part of the collective whole. You know, the Bible is very clear. You will have self-identity for all eternity in the presence of God in heaven. In other words, when I get to heaven, I'm not going to say, well, I wonder who I am. I'm going to know who I am. I'm going to know who Vi is. I'm going to know who you are. We're going to know one another. But it's going to be in perfection. Can you imagine never, be, never having to take a bath, never having to be hungry, never having to work out, never having to do anything like that? And here's the, the beautiful thing. When we get our, receive our glorified bodies, Scripture says they'll be perfect. And I won't get into the whole, the word perfect, but we'll be perfect. So, in other words, you know, I'm not going to be 75 anymore. Probably... That we're told that the human body reaches its physical perfection at about age 30. <laughs> That's downhill, baby. No. But the physical body reaches its perfection somewhere around age 30. So when the rapture comes and we have our glorified bodies, you know, guys my age are going to be 30. And our little, little guys and our babies, they're going to be mature too. You know, somebody said, oh, I just want my baby to always be a baby. Well, you have a pretty cold heart. I want my baby to be able to glorify God every bit as much as I do in heaven. 
And so we're all going to be about that age in appearance, but we're going to have glorified bodies. They'll be different than these physical bodies. If there's a physical body, there's also a spiritual body. The physical came first, then the spiritual. That's the promise of God. Wow. These are the promises we have. And all it requires is us to simply surrender and say, Lord, I no longer want to walk in the dictates of my own flesh, but I want to walk according to your word, being led by the Spirit. It is no longer I who live, Lord. I want you to live in and through me. I want to turn my life over to you. And you do that, and Jesus is so faithful. Like people say, well, well, how can I be born again? What's the formula I have to have? What, what, how many scriptures do I have to memorize? You know, do I need to go through catechism classes? What do I need to be saved? Do I have to take a, you know, what is it? Here's the simple thing. If you want to be saved, you go to Jesus and you say, God, forgive me a sinner. Take over my life. That's that. Well, that's too simple. Well, that's about as much as we can handle <laughs> in reality. But that's, yes, it is simple. Because his salvation is easy. Jesus, forgive me, a sinner. Take over my life. And the wonderful thing is, and I'll be closing with this, all of us as believers know this, that even after we are saved, our feet get dirty. Remember Jesus washed the disciples' feet? Our feet get dirty. You want to know why? We walk in the world. And every one of us, when we're honest with ourselves, we're, we're alone with our own heart, every one of us know the thoughts we've had, the things we've done, you know, the things we've said. We all know the things that have definitely displeased the Lord and are not in keeping with the Spirit. We all know that. But what a wonderful thing to know that all we have to do is run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. You know that song. I can't sing for anything. But you run to Jesus and say, God, forgive me. And he does. What's my favorite verse? First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and, and just to forgive us and purify. In other words, wash us from all unrighteousness. Wow. You messed up this morning? You messed up a minute ago? Take it to Jesus. Take it to Jesus. And the wonderful thing would be is if we had that same attitude towards one another we're long-suffering and patient, kind to one another, forgiving one another as Jesus Christ forgave us. Isn't that what Scripture says? Forgive one another as I have forgiven you. That's what we need to do. And sometimes it seems hard to do. It seems hard to do for no other reason than our pride and our vanity and our hardness of heart. But when we say, forgive me, Lord, we need to also be willing to go to other people and say, forgive me. And when people say to us, forgive me, we need to forgive them. And you know, when you forgive someone, what does Scripture say? He takes our sin from us as far as what? He sits from the west, and what does he do with them? He remembers them no more. But sometimes with people we love, they say, would you forgive me for doing this? Well, I, I will, but it's the 42nd time you've done it. Well, you never forgave them to begin with. Because you remembered it. You remember it no more. You know what's wonderful? In our relationship with the Lord, and if we bring it into our interpersonal relationships with other people, it's always a new beginning. It's always a new beginning. I love that. Some of you who are old enough might remember those 
I don't know what they called it. It was like a tablet kind of thing, and it had like black wax, and it had like a, a, a clear film that went over it, and you had a wooden pencil, and you'd write on it, and it would come right out when you'd write, do all kinds of notes and stuff like that. And if you made a mistake, all you did is take the paper and go, and there's nothing there again. Well, guess what? That's the way it is in Jesus. Lord, forgive me. It's clear. God is so wonderful and so awesome. Why would anyone not? just want to just give their life to him completely. Father in heaven, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for all that you have done, all that you are doing and all that you will do. And Lord, we know that you've called us to be your witness in this world. And this is a dark and evil world, Lord, but you've given us a light that is able to penetrate the darkness, a light that can shine. And Lord, I pray that we would take up that mantle of being your witness wherever we go. And Father, I pray that if there are any here, even right now, even today as I'm speaking, who don't know you, this would be the day of their salvation. That in their heart they would cry out that you would forgive them a sinner. And that they would ask you to come in and take over their heart and life. And we know you would do so because that's what your word says. And now, Father, I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, dismiss us with your blessing, and encourage us in all your truth. And I pray and ask this all in Christ Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.